All right. So uh, John led us in prayer for the missions team. Uh, there is a, a brief um, prayer guide. Uh, it's on our website. If you go to today's sermon, it has all the downloads for the uh, bulletin and everything else, the worship guide and the sermon outline, all that stuff. There is a little uh, one-page thing. You can print it off, stick it on the fridge. Just remember to pray for our missions team every day. Uh, that would be great. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is a well-known passage. We're taking it a little bit out of context as we're going through the one another commands of the New Testament this summer. And today we've gotten to the command to care for one another. And so if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 through 26. Listen carefully as this is uh, God's word. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word and we need it more than ever. Thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. Lord, today we come to uh, one more of the many one another commands. Uh, this is one that many of us think we uh, already do just fine. So we pray that we would learn from you today, that we would listen carefully, that we would follow the one who enables us to obey this command and who through the spirit makes us more empathetic to each other and to the trials we all face. Thank you that today we're learning again from the Apostle Paul. Help us to hear his words, understand them, believe them, and obey them, and in so doing, demonstrate our love for your church by having the same care for one another. And so we pray, speak through 1 Corinthians 12 this morning, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. For in his name we pray, amen, amen. and amen. The author Lillian uh, Daniel um, wrote an article. She's uh, not a Christian author. Uh, she would, uh, that's probably debatable depending on your perspective. Uh, she writes a, a lot about spiritual things. Um, but she wrote a, an article, very interesting, about her daughter's elementary school musical. Didn't know they did musicals at the elementary school. Um, but she noted that when she went in, as all good parents went in to see their uh, children uh, sing, uh, it had a note in the program and it said, this musical was originally written for 15 actors, but it has been adapted to accommodate our cast of 206. <laughs> so you know what kind of show this is. No cut auditions, no performer left without something to do. They danced and they sang and they delivered their lines and somehow 
206 children graced the stage that night. It was not a short program. And the church's calling is like these volunteer geniuses that took an elementary school musical with 15 parts and creatively made room for 206 kids. Uh, we take a task that we could easily professionalize or outsource and just simply pay someone else to do it. And yet we divide it into parts so that everyone has a job. Is that efficient? Not at all. Not if all you care about is getting the job done. But the church cares less about getting the job done and more about the people doing it. We are not in the efficiency business. Our business is to make disciples. And we want to offer as many people as possible the chance to know Christ both in service and in community. Lillian Daniels continues in her article. She said, I have sat in church meetings where the most unlikely person volunteered for the job. The woman I had envisioned on the finance committee chose instead to join a team of church supper cooks. I wanted her excellent mind and keen eye keeping track of our numbers, but that's what she does all day. At church, I want to do what I love, she says, and until then, I never knew it was cooking. She goes on, you know that church supper could have been catered with far more efficiency, but instead the script was adapted to accommodate a person with a calling. Sure, there are people we may not want on the program. Sometimes the accountant reminds us how grateful we are that cooking is not her day job. We have to adjust to help her find the place where her gifts meet our needs. And in the midst of a bite of half-cooked quiche or rubbery sausage, we recall that Jesus came for all of us, not just the star performers or even the competent. The church should be the ultimate home of the no-cut audition. We don't get to choose the other members of the body. You have to want to get in, but once you're here, we will find a part for you to play. Some degree, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about. It's about the body of Christ being compared to a physical body and how there's a role for each and every uh, person. Even if you think there's only 15 parts, we find a spot for all 206. Now, we're going to look at one small part of that chapter, and we're going to focus in on three things. And the first thing is recognizing that we have the same need. We have the same need, verses 21 to 24. That's the first blank if you've uh, downloaded the outline. And because we didn't start earlier in the text, we miss there's a big change that starts in verse 21. You see, earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is addressing the problem of how we're tempted to think wrongly about ourselves. And now in verse 21, he shifts to how we're tempted to think wrongly about others. So you see that starting in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So on the one hand, there are church members at Corinth who are excluding themselves because they feel that somehow they are inferior. And then on the other hand, at the other extreme, there's church members in Corinth who are excluding others because they feel they're superior. So some are saying, I'm not needed. And others are saying, you're right. You're not needed. I don't need you. It's actually a pretty common sentiment in our because it privileges individualism and makes the autonomous self king. I don't need you. That may be the reigning attitude in our society, but it's not an attitude that fits within the body of Christ. It's not an attitude that should be heard in the local church. No member can say to another, I don't need you. So now when I say we have the same need, I don't mean that we all need the same thing, but rather that we are all needed and that we all need to be needed. We're all needed and we all need to be needed. There's a reason 1 Corinthians 12, which is about the use of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, follows 1 Corinthians 11, which has the familiar passage on the Lord's Supper which we read on the first Sunday of every month, and the requirement of discerning the body, which is referring to the body of Christ. One of the primary ways we discern the body of Christ is by seeing and understanding the use of spiritual gifts whose primary purpose is to build up the body. So we have to discern or understand the body in order to see the need we have for every part of the body. Look again at Paul's metaphor here of the body. In the body, he says, some parts are covered up. There are unpresentable parts, and we pay careful attention to those parts, covering them up for modesty's sake. We don't have to give that kind of attention to the eye or the hand that we do to other parts of the body. And the point that Paul's making is clear. Those of you who are gifted with public ministries, you're not the ones that need special attention. It's the so-called unpresentable parts. That's how they thought of themselves. And yet Paul is saying they're vital. They're indispensable is his word for the good functioning and health of the body and they need special care. Now, to use a closer to home example, I'm guessing that two weeks ago, uh, Frank Wong didn't pay much attention to his Achilles tendon. But I can promise you in this past week, he paid a whole lot of attention to his Achilles tendon. Because he learned the hard way when your Achilles tendon doesn't work, you can't walk. There are people in our church whose vital, indispensable ministries go largely unnoticed and sometimes even unsupported. The older lady who mentors a few younger women the person battling chronic health issues who can't make it to church very often, but who is a prayer warrior and regular, in, regularly intercedes for so many in Jesus' name. The family of modest means that opens its home on a regular basis to care for students. The quiet encouragers 
the servant-hearted doers, the generous givers, the pastoral visitors, the disciple-makers, the faithful helpers. Do you know who does set up every Sunday? Do you know who picks the responsive reading? It's not me. Do you know who picks the confession of sin? It's not me either. And it's not the person who picks the responsive reading. Do you know who takes the offering to the bank? While our culture privileges the extrovert and the upfront, we need to practice extra care towards the vital ministries of our brothers and sisters that go largely unseen. As Paul puts it, we're to show greater honor to those whose service generally lacks honor. And that's something of a gospel pattern, isn't it? Christ himself came not as the mighty conquering hero that uh, we saw in Sunday school in Revelation 19 this morning, but he came the first time as a carpenter's son who became a wandering rabbi rejected by most and crucified by the Romans. It is an upside down, back to front, counterintuitive pattern of the gospel. By means of a cross, Jesus saves the world. It's also the pattern of Paul's ministry. If you think about the Apostle Paul, it wasn't as the elite Pharisee, the best educated with privileged status that he planted churches all over the Roman Empire. No, it was as counting those things as rubbish for the sake of Christ. It was the rejected, beaten, imprisoned, self-supporting itinerant preacher that reached the world for Jesus. It may seem to us that the guy up front is most important. And there's some days that I wish that was actually true as the guy up front. It may seem to us that the speaker at the big event is most important. That's what it means to make a difference for the kingdom. But the gospel pattern is different. It is the unpresentable parts that require special honor. Those are the parts that are vital, that are indispensable, without which the body does not function well to the glory of God. So whether you're up front or behind the scenes, we all have the same need. Second, we all show the same care, verse 25. We all show the same care. So Paul is correcting the mistake in the Corinthian church, the same way he corrected the previous mistake. And the antidote for both errors, I'm not needed and I don't need you, is the same. Look here at verse, well, let's go back to verse 24. He points to the prerogatives of a sovereign God who orders the body as he wills. He says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that, verse 25, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has put the churches together this way. No Christian is unnecessary or unneeded. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you may need to tell yourself that. No Christian is unnecessary or unneeded in the church. God's plan is that the body of Christ exercises special care for one another, understanding that eyes and ears need hands and feet, that every part needs every other part in order for the good health and proper functioning of the whole. But it's not just about learning how to work together. This verse is about caring for one another. 
we have the same care for the people behind the scenes as we do for the people up front. Why? Well, one reason is simply life is hard. Sometimes life is really hard. It just is. In a fallen world where things are not the way they're supposed to be, life is hard. It looks different for each of us, and because of that, we need help. We need help from the Lord, but we need help from others. We need the support and encouragement that uniquely comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be built up. And guess what? Everybody around us, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, they need help too. They need to be built up too. They need to be cared for too. Because life is really hard. It just is. In Galatians 6.2 we read, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this kind of love is on display when we care for one another by bearing one another's burdens. That's what it means to be the church. Listen, pain and suffering comes for every single one of us. I'm just telling you that because it's true. It could be less serious or maybe more serious. It could be cancer. It could be an injury. It could be declining health. It could be rejection from your dream school or your dream job. It could be a relationship that falls apart. It could be the weight of grief after a loved one passes away. Whatever it is, pain and suffering will show up. They will come. They just will. And you need to know that God's going to use the church in your life in those times. That's built into the design. He's given us the church to give us the support and the encouragement and the care and the tears that we desperately need in the midst of hardship. And once you've experienced that, there's nothing like it. I can't tell you how many times I've visited someone that just went through a hard time and the church has rallied around them and somehow helped them out, brought meals. Uh, I, you know, we've... we've uh, built ramps for wheelchairs. Um, we've, you know, redone insides of people's houses. We've cleaned when they couldn't clean. All sorts of things. And the one comment I get over and over again, you know, when you talk to folks like that, and I've talked to a lot over 25 years, is how do people do it who don't have a church? How many of you have ever said something like that? How, how do people do it who don't have a church? Have you ever said that? Thought that? A good chunk out of you. Because that's what we do. There's nothing like it when the church rallies around someone. Now, somewhere in here you're going to realize you can't keep track of everybody. Can't keep track of every Christian. You can't keep track of every member of this church. The staff can't do that, and we're paid to do that. So when we read Paul telling us that we have to show the same care for one another, I think that means those around us, those that God puts in our path. You know, we have a meals ministry that Jenny uh, oversees, 
and uh, something happens, somebody gives a baby or whatever, and we bring meals. And not all those meals ministries go to the whole church because usually it goes to their community group first and sometimes they fill up the schedule and never gets to the whole church. And people will say, how come there wasn't meals for so-and-so? And I say, it was, their community group took care of it. It never got to the rest of us. And uh, sometimes it's those people who are closest to you that God's put around you, that God's put in your path. You need to show care to them first. That's who God's put in front of you. But the reality is when each of us is connected to another someone else, and that someone else is connected to another someone else, then ultimately the entire body is connected and cared for. And so when we recognize we all have the same need, and we show the same care, then we can have the same response. We can have the same response, verse 26. So that in the church, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And think about this in the context of the body. If you stub your toe in the middle of the night and you're hopping around in the dark, it's not just your toe that hurts, is it? Anybody ever stepped on one of those Lego landmines? That'll get your attention. Everything hurts. If you have acute back pain, which some of you know all about this, it can be completely immobilizing. It's not just an ache in your back. You can't move. You can't even get up. Pain in one part of the body is pain of the whole body. When one part suffers, the whole uh, suffers with it. You know, the other day I picked up Frank from the surgery center and I brought him home. And he was in a lot of pain. And you could tell when he tried to get out of the car. My car's not easy to get out of if you're not hurting. It's really not easy to get out of if you are hurting. But so you could tell, and I knew he was in a lot of pain, but not by seeing the grimace on Frank's face, but by seeing the grimace on Sarah's face as she stood by his side. And to be honest, this is going to sound a little strange. You're probably used to that by now. Um, that actually encouraged me. Seeing one person, even a spouse, taking on the suffering of another without even thinking about it. I think that gives us a good picture of what Paul's talking about here. When someone at Potomac Hills is hurting, are you hurting? And if not, why not? We're all supposed to be in this thing together. Or on the flip side, if one part is honored, the whole body is to rejoice together. When someone says, think about this, if they tell you you have beautiful eyes or you have a dazzling smile, our body language changes to reflect the pleasure we feel as we bask in the glow of that compliment. It shows we react. When we're honored, our whole body responds, and that's how it's to be in the church. When one member suffers, we're to grieve in solidarity with him or her, but when one member is honored, we're not to look at them with jealousy, but we're to rejoice in the blessing received. Now that's a profoundly counter-cultural picture of our society. Paul is saying that you look in vain to all the organizations of the world for that reality 
till you look for it in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there you'll see it. Not perfectly, uh, to be sure. The Corinthians are struggling to live this out, just as we struggle to live it out. And yet here, even among us, sinners though we are, you can still see it. Do you remember the testimonies that were shared back in March, April, and May? We had about a dozen people come through and share testimonies of what God taught them uh, during the pandemic. If you could remember what they all said, those people carried us. Those people counseled us. Those people prayed for us. Those people cared for us. Those people gave to us. Those people welcomed us. Those people brought us back. And you are those people. You are the members of the body of Christ caring for one another with compassion and kindness and love, rejoicing together in the honor that one member receives, mourning and grieving in solidarity when one member suffers. How is that possible? Where does that come from? Can you find it in yourself? Paul is teaching us it comes from being united to Jesus Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ is not the country club at prayer. It's not just another organization to which you commit yourself. It is a supernatural institution. It's an organism inhabited by the Spirit of Christ. To belong to the church is to belong to the body of Christ, and that changes everything. So though you may struggle mightily with pride, I don't need you, or insecurity, I'm not needed, there is wonderful hope for you in the church because the spirit of Christ flows through the body, giving it life and drawing every part together in unity to make us one. We need each other. You need your brothers and sisters around you. And so here the Apostle Paul exhorts you, at whatever point you may be on that spectrum of I'm not needed to I don't need you, Paul is telling you, you have to care for the church. It's the body of Christ. And to care for its members and all their unique gifting because we are, in fact, all of us united to Christ. We care for the church because we love the church. And the most important reason we love the church is because God loves the church. Christ loves his bride, his holy ones for whom he died to purchase them with his own blood. And if the one who had to die to make us holy is not ashamed to call us family, Hebrews 2.11, how can we refuse to love those who are sinners just like us? God's plan to make his grace known to the world is not for a bunch of perfect people to live together in perfect harmony. It's for a bunch of sinful people to cling desperately to Jesus even at the hardest times. God's light may not shine in every corner of the church, but it still shines all around. And when the church looks to Jesus for help in our weaknesses, powerful things happen. Earlier I said there's a reason 1 Corinthians 12 follows 1 Corinthians 11. You have to discern the body of Christ, so Paul explains how that body of Christ works. But then 1 Corinthians 12 leads to 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love, which was not written for weddings, but um, so that there may not be any division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And here's how Paul says that. 
Should you take the Lord's Supper before the whole body is gathered? Chapter 11, verse 21. No, because love is patient. 13.4. Should you look down on those with seemingly less important gifts? Passage we just read. No, because love does not envy or boast. 13.4. Should you ignore those who are suffering? 12.26. No, because love bears all things and hopes all things. 13.7. Chapter 11, we're told to discern the body. Chapter 12, we're told how it works. And chapter 13, we're told oh, why we do it. Because we love each other. Paul saw the mess in the church. In all the churches, and particularly in the church in Corinth. And he gave his life to building them up. He says that, Acts 20, 24. That he gave his life for them. The reason we love the church and all its mess and all its baggage is because it is there that we see God's amazing grace defeating our sins and transforming us to look like his son. And when the world sees that, even the mess of the church can make Jesus look great. One author I was reading um, does a lot of training on small group ministry and Sunday school and that kind of thing. And, he was invited to a church to help uh, lead their training for small group leaders and Sunday school teachers. And so he was at this meeting and they took time for a special presentation. He didn't know about this. One of their teachers, Miss Peggy, was retiring and they were gonna honor, honor her that night in front of all the other teachers and leaders. She's retiring from teaching one of the children's Sunday school classes because she had to move to an assisted living home. But here's the kicker. She was retiring after having taught that Sunday school class for 70 straight years. 70. Seven, zero. Think about that. This was written about, uh, or this happened about 10 years ago. So if you kind of do the math, that means she taught children who lost their fathers in World War II. She shepherded children through things like the assassination of uh, JFK and Martin Luther King. It means her Sunday school class talked about the Apollo moon landing one Sunday. I mean, she was teaching Sunday school during all the tumultuous years of Vietnam. On 9-11, she was still there. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year. It is remarkable. And while it's easy to think it's remarkable after 70 years, I wonder if 65, 75 years ago, we would have had the same reaction to Miss Peggy. Probably not. 65 years ago, we might have said, if someone asked us about her, that she was kind. She's a good Christian. But she's just a Sunday school teacher. thing is, there is no just in the body of Christ. No one is just a Sunday school teacher. No one just takes the offering. No one is just a bringer of meals to the sick. No one is just a deacon. There is no just. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 12, where he describes the essential nature of every church member. In the same way the hand should say, 
uh, should not say that I'm just a hand or the eye should not say I'm just an eye. There is no just in the church. Consider Miss Peggy. How many children passed through her care? How many times did the truth of the gospel go through her to those children and to their children? I have a sneaking suspicion that it's people like that. The ones who serve quietly and without fanfare, but with great faithfulness, that they're the true heroes in the kingdom of heaven. Although we may not recognize that now, there will come a day when they meet the applause of heaven. So as you serve this week and next week and the week after that, don't do it from a posture of just. Be encouraged. Know that you're as essential to the body of Christ as anyone else. And as you see others who model the same kind of quiet service, pause and consider for a moment that there is a great king who takes notice of his servants who care for one another. And this king sees and he will remember. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us once again by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. God, our Father, we bow before you and we confess to the pride that makes us insecure. It makes us think that we're not loved or cared about or that we can't make any contribution or that we're not worth anything, that we ought to quietly slip away. And we also confess that pride that says we need no one, certainly not the weak and small and vulnerable. We're strong and sufficient unto ourselves. What lies we tell ourselves, that we don't need anyone at the same time we're not needed. What a massive contradiction we are when we allow both extremes to fester in one heart. So as we bow before you, we confess to you how much we need you. Thank you that to belong to the church isn't to belong to any other institution, but a supernatural organization inhabited and empowered by the spirit of Jesus who unites us to Christ. And because that's true, there's hope for us in our insecurity and in our boasting that we won't be who we once were, but we'll be more like our Savior and more willing to love and serve one another. Grant that we may live like people called to be members of the body of Christ and work in each of us this summer as we learn how to have the same care for one another in the gospel. Teach us to respond with a greater trust in you and your word and through these one another commands draw us ever closer to the one who displays them perfectly, your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever, amen.